This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division, there's a retirement village right next door that overlooks the property. And I met, had lots of cups of coffee with the residents there, both, you know, at the resident there. And they were, they thought it was going to put them at risk. I mean, they were very upset. And so at the last community advisory council meeting we had last two weeks ago, I asked the operator, I said, well, what do your residents think about the tiny home village? They're like, you know, council member, they actually feel pretty good about it. They actually think they kind of adopted it. You know, they, they really like seeing the kids running around and they, they really want to see what they can do to get more involved. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. This is Evelyn Lopez. On this week's episode of Crossing Division, we are delighted to be talking with John Hines, Tacoma City Council member from District 1, and I live in District 1, I should add, and also Erica Azqueta, who is the Homelessness and Household Stability Manager for the City of Tacoma. Today, we're going to talk about housing, houseless neighbors, homelessness, which is really a big issue right now in Tacoma. But I wanted to, before we dive down in this, I wanted to say, for those of you listening to this podcast, we try to keep things super topical. And right now, the big thing that's going on, or the big thing people are talking about, at least on social media, and I would say in the city council too, are the events of last weekend where a Tacoma police officer drove into a crowd of people down on 9th and Pacific on Saturday. And I talked to John about, you know, do we want to talk about that in this episode or should we hold the line and continue on homelessness? And we decided to hold the line on homelessness because this is sort of an ongoing issue and and a big issue and one I really want to focus on. But John will be talking about policing in all likelihood, probably on our our sister program, Citizen Tacoma. Um, We're we're reopening Citizen Tacoma. Um, Eric Hanberg is going to be hosting it. And we'll be talking to a lot of local officials about policing and other current issues there. But for now, and here, we're going to talk about homelessness and our neighbors who are without housing and struggling. So welcome, John, and welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. So why don't we start out with, and I guess I'll ask you this, John, and you can then turn to Erica as, as needed, but... We, when I drive around Tacoma, so I know that there are a couple of micro shelters. I know there's one at Sixth and Orchard, and I know, John, that you were supportive of that, and I really appreciate it. I think there's still one over on the east side um, near the architectural salvage store on East 60th off McKinley. Um, and I see a lot of tents along Yakima Avenue and some other places. Um, what would you say are the city's biggest concerns about the number of homeless or houseless Tacomans uh, in our city right now? I mean, I think you've probably identified it, Evelyn. It's just the the, the sheer amount of people we currently have unhoused in our community. Um, they're very, and how visible it is right now. I mean, we all know that um, the houses population is much bigger than just the people you see on the streets. I mean, that was a big conversation I had with the Sixth and Orchard Thames site was simply that, you know, the population is, is bigger than the, the people you see. But even with that, there's a lot of people on the streets and, and the health, the safety issues for 
the people who are currently living on the street and, and the neighborhood um, that they're living in, I think is, is probably top of mind for us right now is, mm-hmm. is it's not humane to have people living on the streets and, you know, what can we do to get them the help that they need? And, you know, focusing on getting them housing and then thinking about how we then help meet all the other needs that they have, mm-hmm. whether it's mental illness, whether it's um, trying to find work, whether it's drug or alcohol addiction, whatever it is, um, really trying to get them sheltered, stabilized, and, and really kind of help them reintegrate them back into our community. Um, I think is something that I'm thinking about a lot is um, with the eviction moratorium that we've had in the state um, with COVID ongoing Um, I think we're probably rightfully concerned about what will happen when the eviction moratorium ends and that this visible problem we're seeing um, may get worse. So that's, I think, top of my mind. Erica, I don't know if you would like to add. I think you you spoke perfectly, uh, you know, that just having individuals who are outside, especially during this time of year is a, a great concern of us and, and we're doing everything we can to, to provide them the services that they need. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what is the city actually doing um, both to provide services to people who are living on the streets now, and then maybe to try to help create more housing options for people? Erica, do you want to talk about what we're doing right now? And then I can maybe talk about what we're looking at doing in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So we do have the homeless outreach team, which is the city's homeless outreach team that goes out to encampments and offers services and tries to refer individuals to available shelter space. Uh, We do have a direct way to refer people to our micro shelter units and to our stability site, uh, which is off of Portland and, and Puyallup. And we do have a great relationship with all of our other homeless service providers. So if they do identify a need um, for another supportive service, such as behavioral health or substance use disorder services, they can try to get them connected to those. We also do fund other outreach teams um, because, you know, the city is very large. We want to make sure we can try to conduct as much outreach to all individuals who are unhoused um, to make sure that we're trying to connect people to whatever services they have. We've also support uh, permanent shelters and have been standing up temporary emergency shelters around this time of year to address the deficit we're currently experiencing in shelter space. Um, Because of the pandemic, a lot of our shelters have had to decrease their capacity to employ social distancing and other um, safety regulations recommended by the CDC, as well as during this time of year, a lot of our shelters operate at what's called inclement weather sheltering. So they provide uh, upwards of additional 100 to 200 shelter units around the winter time, but they can't do that because of the pandemic because they have to have that additional space. So we're at a very significant deficit in terms of space. And so that kind of contributes us to what you're seeing when you drive around downtown and in the hilltop area. Um, and so we did set up a winter shelter at the Eastside Community Center uh, which is a Metro Parks facility. We just activated the North, North Point Center in Browns Point on Tuesday. Um, yesterday, the Salvation Army opened up uh, their site, um, 35 units for single men. Um, and, and we're continuing to try to reach out to our community members um, to see what available space we have out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your, do you have an estimate of sort of how many people there are out there who are in need of housing and want housing that we're not able to assist right now? So we actually refer to the annual point in time count and in Pierce County, um, there was about over 1600 individuals who are experiencing homelessness. What we do now is that when they collected that information, 
1,500 of the individuals were in Tacoma when they reported that. Um, now, that doesn't mean that all of those were Tacoma residents and had Tacoma zip codes, but that's how many of them were within city limits when that data was collected. So that kind of gives you an idea of, of, of what the need is right now in our community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something just to reiterate something Erica said earlier, which I hear a lot, especially when we were standing up the warming center at North Point or even the um, the tiny home village on Sixth Orchard is um, get lots of questions about well, why are we doing this now? Like, why is why do we need this space now? Um, and why am I seeing more people on the street? And we cannot forget to reiterate that due to COVID, traditional ways we've addressed this by increasing capacity at, say, the rescue mission just are not available to us. Um, and so these options are to be able to really meet the need both during a pandemic and during the winter. Um, and so we have to be willing to try all sorts of things and take all different options. And I think that's when the conversation comes back to, you know, when we we're talking about the North Point Center and, and listening to residents say, well, why are you why are you housing people here when it's so far away from services? And, and my response is, well, we're going to house people anywhere we can because the way we used to do it is no longer available to us and there's still a need. And so we have to take advantage of every space that's available. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have people at Bellarmine Preps Gym. We have people at the North Point Community Center. We have people at Holy Rosary, um, the uh, Salvation Army. So the city is trying to do everything they can to just identify those spaces as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, John, what are some of the things that the city is hoping to to do sort of moving forward to expand that and get and get more either temporary or, or semi-permanent or permanent units? Um, yeah, I think, you know, this, con- so to kind of, I think it's a great question. And, and, you know, when I was talking to people about the Sixth Northwood Thames site with my neighbors, you know, I heard a lot of people say, well, this isn't fixing the long-term problem, John, mm-hmm. right? You're just housing these people temporarily. Mm-hmm. And my com- response to them was often, well, we have to do both and. Right. We have to do both at the same time. So we both have to house the people who are currently out on the streets to get them stabilized and healthy. Um, and so I think for that point, you know, the city's looking at any of those options. You know, we've currently give, we're recently gave money to the rescue mission to help them expand their place, their beds. Um, we have the Thames site that we set up on Sixth Orchard. You know, I think by looking at the Thames site by my house, the one on Sixth Orchard, it's very clean. It's well-managed. Um, I've had neighbors who were very, very upset with me um, back in October who have come and talked to me since and said, you know, had I known this is what it was going to be, I wouldn't have been quite as mean to you, John. Um, and I think that model, the tiny home village is another, a model of something we could look at further and, and see other locations where we could stand something like that up, um, continuing to find, partners kind of regionally that can take some of that work on and and provide housing. I think those are um, all things we're doing. Uh, I can't forget the faith-based community. You know, the, the, the reason it's at Sixth and Orchard is the first church of Christ decided they want to use that property. As I run around, you know, district one where I live, you know, I see lots of other churches that have large pieces of property that could potentially house something like that. So I think looking at those opportunities are important. And then the second half is the, once we have them kind of at a tiny home village or someplace where they're sheltered, 
we have to continue to build housing in this community for people to then transition into. You know, there's a, we have to continue to find ways for people to kind of move into the community or, you know, find places where their lives continue um, and not really look at the temporary part of it. So I think that's what the city is really looking at, like our affordable housing action strategy. You know, what are we doing to either create new affordable units or preserve affordable units that currently exist. And there's, there's lots of things that the city's kind of working on with that using federal dollars, mm-hmm. um, the state housing trust fund, but that's the, the next piece of it. So, you know, we're trying to do both and at the same time, because, you know, if we have one tiny home village, like the one next on six and orchard, there's, 50 people there right now. I think um, when I was at the last community advisory council, they'd already had one person transition into, into permanent housing and it's been open for a month. And so, you know, that is the other piece, right? We don't have to keep standing up tiny home villages if we're moving people into housing, if there's housing that exists, but the, the speed at which those move is, is a little disconnected. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I would say, I mean, all of what we're dealing with and nobody has much sympathy for this because it just is what it is, right? But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that um, it, the, the plan, there used to be a commitment at the federal level to provide um, federally supported housing. And some some of that was dreadful. I mean, it was, you know, housing projects and things like that. But, I mean, that's better than not having a roof over your yeah. head. And since, you know, the end of sort of that type of a um, funding mechanism that we saw in the 1970s, really just sort of decade after decade of not having any sort of supported, really significant supported housing. And yet, you know, people's circumstances, um, there are people who are, who have been in need, who are in need, who will be in need. So I don't know that we'll ever move away from needing that. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think the, so a a piece that we'd have to reference when we talk about long-term housing is, if you look at the housing authority and its wait list for people to have vouchers, right? So we have people in our community that qualify for rental housing vouchers that are on a wait list. And every time that wait list opens hundreds, if not thousands of people sign up and there's just not enough money to go around. So, you know, when you look at the Biden administration right now, it's talking about making section eight housing an entitlement that mm-hmm. everyone who qualifies will get money for it. I think that's, that's the kind of, game-changing thing that I could have a real impact on housing. If every one of these people in a tiny home village had access to a Section 8 voucher and had dollars to help them find a place to live, I think it would make it a lot easier. It doesn't remove the the, the pressure upon us as a city and as a community to build more housing for people to go into, but that is a missing piece that cannot be neglected. It's just that we don't have enough dollars for people who actually qualify for support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you some questions about the um, folks who are living in tents and the services that are available to them. I know there was an action by the one of the um, activist housing groups to take all of the trash bags from uh, tent uh, areas and push them in front of the city hall to sort of, you know, visualize that the city is not meeting an obligation to remove trash from this, uh, this community. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know if the city has any plans to try to figure out how to provide some um, trash pickup services or other hygiene related services to the folks who are living outside on in tents? Uh, I can talk a little bit about what I know about the Purple Bag Project, um, which is one of those opportunities and Erica can fill in for anything I miss. Um, but you, the city's starting a Purple Bag pilot project. It's run out of environmental services. And what it's really designed for is in our open space 
where people are currently living. Um, you know, it's the city's responsibility to keep those areas clean because of, you know, their, their stormwater, you know, areas and trash, um, really has an impact on stormwater. And so one of the ideas of the purple bag project is taking purple bags to where these encampments are in green and open spaces and allowing the, the residents to collect their own trash, put them in the bag, and then we pick it up, you know, once a week. It's There's currently one site it's working on right now, if I'm not mistaken, and it's we can expand it. Um, you know, the and that's one piece of it. Um, I the, the one thing I would say, and this is because litter is something I heard a lot about with the TEM site. It's something I'm kind of passionate about. Um, we have to come up with a model to pay to pick up all the trash because right now our trash is paid for by homeowners or property owners. They pay for their trash can. And um, it, because it's a utility, um, if you want to pay to have the trash picked up on the street, but it's not the homeowner. Well, then whose responsibility is to pay for that? And so there's some questions about that. So that's saying like, I think we need to continue to find another model because I, I do think the trash is a real issue to kind of help with that. But the purple bag has a specific part of that. And Erica, I don't know if you want to add anything else to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So the purple bag problem, uh, program is operated on environmental services. And we just posted this morning for another, uh, job opportunity for someone to staff the homeless outreach team, which will oversee that program and make sure, kind of monitor it, see how it's going. And if there is an opportunity to expand, it will be overseeing that. Um, in addition to that, uh, the homeless outreach team does work with the city's third-party contractor, a vendor that we have that does debris and garbage removal at encampments. Um, because that we've seen an increase of encampment activity, we have increased um, the schedules. And so in some of the areas around the hilltop where we do have a lot of activity up there, we have them going and removing garbage two, three days a week, just to kind of relieve the community members, the individuals living there, as well as the, the neighbors and business owners. So they don't have to, to live in all the garbage there. And then we, we just um, contacted with another third-party vendor to address just the hilltop area. And they are scheduled to go out seven days a week to go out um, get bags of garbage, put them in their truck and remove it. And so we really are um, looking at all different avenues we can um, to to address it and respond and to help support our community members who are being impacted by that. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you about sort of timeframes. So the purple bag program, it sounds like it might be active right now um, somewhere. Where is it active right now? It's on the M slope. Um, and I know that's that's a term that's just for us. <laughs> it's a property, an, an open space property that's kind of near the uh, the casino off Portland Avenue. If you drive oh, okay. from there, it kind of goes, it's a very steep, steep slope that goes up. Um, and that, and they've removed, I think, like thousands of pounds of garbage yeah. since then. It's been very successful since it's okay. been on set. And then what's the, do you have a calendar or expectation of sort of when you might deploy that out further across the city? I know the pilot project is slated to end in April. And so right now we're, we're still kind of in, a, in an assessment phase to see uh, what our opportunities have. You know, uh, Councilmember Hines was, was talking about how it would be paid for. So we really have to kind of look at what, what long-term um, and sustainability will look like for that program and how we will roll it out. Mm-hmm. And that's good. And for the third party um, vendors who are doing um, garbage pickup in the hilltop area, is there any, um, do you think it would be helpful to post a schedule um, somewhere so people know what days are trash pickup days and they could, you know, make an effort to sort of help? What we've seen um, when there is a schedule like that and, and, and when we've had um, 
garbage dumps outside is that mm-hmm. sometimes people who do not live in the area will then take advantage of that and you will start to see an increase. Um, so not that we don't want to be transparent, but we also don't want to bring in extra garbage from perhaps outside of that community <laughs> or other folks that want to take advantage of the service. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that's one of those lessons learned, like I said, during these pilot projects that we've identified on how we can continue to be supportive of communities being impacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like an example with the Purple Bag Project, from my understanding is um, they had a kind of a regular schedule for picking it up and they ran into people cutting the bags open to go through the bags. So they had to oh. kind of increase the amount of times they come and get it to avoid that. And, and learning that they asked the residents to keep the purple bags in their, their, their living space or near their living space and then bring it out at a certain time. So they weren't just sitting out so long. So, you know, there's a lot of learning that's come from this. One of the things that's been interesting as a council member is to watch how we learn from these things and to see how staff does a great job of really putting those lessons learned in place. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other two things I wondered uh, whether they're, so I have this visual in my mind and I don't know that it is possible or even actually a good idea, but on some of the empty lots that we have um, between downtown and Hilltop, like along Fawcett Avenue, mm-hmm. um, you know, could we, could we actually make space available, not like sponsored, like the, um, the tent program that was um, down um, below Freight House Square, but um, but just say, you know, this is, a, I'm not sure who owns that space, but who, if, if it's a public space, this is a space that's available. It will have running water. It will have regular trash pickup. And I know there's some funding questions there. And it will have two porta-potties that will be emptied on whatever the schedule is for emptying porta-potties. And then let people live there um, so that at least they've got access to running water and um, in a bathroom facility because I, I do worry about, you know, that what people will have to do to sort of stay clean and healthy and go to the toilet when they are living rough. I, you know, there aren't a whole lot of options for folks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so I'm happy to answer the analysis there. Uh, uh, Eric can fill in, I, you know, I think that, so the, uh, the challenge of all of that is that we are as pretty much a city committed to having on-site management for a lot of these things because unmanaged areas where you're just leaving a porta potty or a washing station um, can can have can lead to problems, right? Uh, you know, the people who experience homelessness, the houseless population, are perpetual targets as victims of crime. Um, you know, their safety is a is a concern of ours too, and. So, in experiences where just bathrooms have been set up or just hand washing stations have been set up that aren't managed, um, you see the people, houseless people being, you know, victimized in those situations. Like the example I like to use is um, the the church that's the first United Methodist Church, which is down there across from the school district building. So where the 27th district dams meet in the, in the basement. Mm-hmm. They set up a bathroom because they wanted to help people during COVID bathroom. And, and, it just became a real issue because they wanted the people to be able to use the bathroom, um, but weren't looking to have people camp all over that area, but that they, they were living there. The property owners, the apartment dwell, the people living in the apartments across the street had issues with people like, causing trouble at night. It just became a real issue. Um, and so one of the things the city's done and Eric could probably speak to is just really making sure that if we're going to do those things, that they're managed, that they're maintained, that, that, 
staff, whether it's city staff or it's a contractor of some kind, is just really checking in and manage those sites as much as possible. Um, that you know that, that increases costs, but I think just is it leads to better outcomes for the people who are served. And Eric, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, I, you you said everything perfectly, and and you know I think when it comes to to us and focusing our resources, uh, we want people to be inside. And if we set something that's outside, it, it it makes it look as if we're okay with people sleeping outside, and we're not. We want them inside, and so that's why we we're really trying to get people indoors. Where if they can use the bathroom, they you know if they need to shower or do laundry, these are all indoor facilities. Um, so people can can feel respected and have integrity and, and have access to all these things like we do, um, and so that that that's really the direction that we that we're trying to go in um, by partnering with you know our faith based organizations and, and and people like Metro Parks um, to allow us to use their space so we can do that that way. Mm-hmm. No, I I I hear what you're both saying, and I and I agree with you that that is the that is the better goal. That it is it is difficult and frustrating because then we have sort of during this period of time, especially where housing is less available than it ever is because of the pandemic, where what we're basically saying is we see you and we see that it's a really bad condition, but the 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 minimal things that we could do that might actually help right now, we know are going to cause other problems. And so we're going to focus our resources on the bigger picture and the longer term solution, even though we know that in the short term, you're going to suffer. That's that's hard. I mean, that's where we're all at, right? I mean, it's, I think that's there, but I think that what we would say, and I, I speaking for myself is, you know, we need to find partners who are willing to take this on. Um, you know, I think that's really what it, you know, I think I've heard our staff say multiple times that what's the proposal, like how, like bring us a proposal of what this is going to look like. And, and here's a list of things we want to make sure. We want to make sure people are safe. We want to make sure people aren't victims of crime. We want to make sure that people are, you know, treated humanely, you know. And I think that's where it, it you know, it is. I don't think we we would say no if a property, if somebody owned a big piece of property and said, hey, I'm willing to manage the site and keep an eye on people. Um, you know, we have churches that are willing to let people park in their parking lots, right. And have access to the, the bathrooms inside. Um, but we just, we want to, we need a plan. And I think that's the, that's the, I think the challenge here um, it's, it's balancing how fast we do something with just having a plan that's going to be a good situation for people mm-hmm. and, and, and prioritizing getting people indoors, I think is important. Um, I think one thing we are, to broaden the conversation just for a second, Erica talked about there's 1,600 people in Pierce County by the Point in Town camp that are experiencing homelessness. 1,500 of them are in the city of Tacoma. I would highly doubt that all 1,500 of them are originally from the city of Tacoma. It's about 500. So Sorry, I didn't 500, say right? that. So yeah. <laughs> there is a, a broader conversation of what are other communities around us doing to help us with this situation, right? Like, I think that is a bigger con- that homelessness is not just a Tacoma problem. It's a regional conversation. Um, this, the point of somebody, when I, the sixth and orchard Thames site is happening, somebody wrote me and said, this would never happen in Fircrest or university place. Right. And I said, you know, you're probably right, but that's the problem mm-hmm. because there are people from Fircrest and university place who are homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, and they're probably, you probably don't see them because you don't do anything for them. And so they all just go to Tacoma. Yeah. So it's like, 
there should be something like that in for Crest University Place. I mean, I think that's a, a broader conversation that's being had. So your your point, Evelyn, I think is well taken, which is we see people, we understand, we just need a real good, pl- we need want to plan for what we're going to do with that situation. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, I think that's a really good point, John. And I, uh, let's pause here. And then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the fact of, you know, is there a way to sort of broaden this out and look at this as a regional issue instead of just a city by city by city? Yeah. Okay, we'll take a quick break. Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. It's no secret that Tacoma's real estate market is off the charts right now. And whenever I have a question about what's happening, I take them to everyone's favorite pod auntie, Marguerite Martin. I trust her for so many reasons, but one of them is that she's not trying to sell me a house. After 16 years helping Tacomans buy homes, she's now a professional real estate matchmaker. That means her entire focus is getting you connected with the best agent for what you need. She helps you find experts because no agent is good at everything. Marguerite knows all the agents and she knows their specialty. Tell her what you're looking for and she'll help you swipe right for your perfect real estate agent. She helps me and my wife find an amazing agent to sell our condo downtown. And when we are ready to buy our next home, we'll turn to her for a match again. Best of all, getting a referral doesn't cost a dime. The agent pays Marguerite a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling. And you can rest easy knowing that you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. To get started, visit movetotacoma.com and hit the contact form. Thank you, Marguerite, for getting Channel 253 up and running and your ongoing support of local media. we're back. Uh, Before we get into this conversation, which I'm finding very interesting, especially moving into sort of regional solutions, I want to say if you are not yet a member of Channel 253, I hope you will consider joining us. It's very reasonable, uh, $4 a month or $40 a year, and you get um, access to Doug's excellent off-the-record podcast. We have a members-only Slack channel that is turning out to be a real hotbed of discussion in Tacoma. Um, And then you'll also be supporting these podcasts, which we feel are an important aspect of community dialogue. So I hope you will join us. So John, I wanted to follow up on this idea of sort of, you know, people saying, well, we don't have homeless people in Fircrest, so what's going on? And I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, you probably do. Or people who did live in Fircrest and now have left, and now they're living in Tacoma, and I have always uh, felt that, you know, having the homelessness situation, it's sort of like drug uh, situations too. You know, there, there are problems that, you know, you, it's like trying to cage water, right? You can't. I mean, they, they, they move. People move as needs happen. They move where they might find a better situation, where they might find better um, uh, benefits. Or they may move someplace where there's sort of a closer link to where they can catch transportation to their work. Or they may move because they have some family in that area who they, you know, can look to for assistance. But uh, tell me what we're doing that is to try to look at homelessness with more of a regional focus rather than just city by city. Yeah. And I'll let Erica maybe talk about more technical part. I would say I don't know how much is really happening on Mm -hmm. a regional basis. You know, I, I wish there was more. You know, I think the conversation 
that I like to ground this in was when we set up the Six North Thames site or the North Point Community Center, something I heard again and again and again was, why are you bringing people here? They're not here already. Why would you bring them here? And there's no services anywhere. Like, why? And I think you, at one level, we would say like, well, we're bringing them where there is a place for them to be housed or to be under a shelter. And we're going to use every piece of property, community center resource out there because this is an emergency and we're going to house people. But the flip side of that is I think having a bigger conversation of, well, why are there no services here? Why are all these people, why are all the services in downtown Tacoma? Um, and really pushing, kind of pushing back on communities and saying, you know, you, it's incumbent upon you to um, also take part of this responsibility. You know, your job is to also help support your residents, whether they are housed or unhoused, right? We, you know, we don't, um, it's not as if we treat people who own homes and people who rent homes differently, right? Like if you're a resident, you're a resident, you're entitled to the same things. Um, and so I think that's the question of how do we then help utilize the resources that are in these other communities, right? So Tacoma is not the only place with community centers. Tacoma is not the only place with churches. Tacoma is not the only place with publicly owned property that could house people um, and to get, get them out there. And, um, you know, when people say like, would say like, well, why are you bringing these people here? You know, this is neighborhood is not good for them. I'd say, well, well, why do you live here? Like, why do you live in this neighborhood? Um, you know, because there's obviously good things here and it's not like these people are not human beings, right? They, they may want to also be here. That was my pitch about Six and Orchard. You know, um, people would say, isn't there a better neighborhood for this? I say, what? I think I live in the best neighborhood in the city of Tacoma. What are you talking about? Um, so kind of breaking through that conversation. And that's like the heart, the, one of the hardest things is, you know, trying to get through the idea of that the, the people you're helping are not going to be dangerous. They're not going to harm your community. They're not going to ruin your property values. It, it's, they're going to be, if this is going to be better for them and for the community done right, it won't be a real issue. And I think that's a broader conversation we can have because I think with most things, when you, when you take a large population of people that are houseless, of which there are people who have mental illness, of which there are people who have drug addictions, of which there may be some people who are, have a criminal background or criminal history. And then you put them all in one area together. That's not a healthy environment for anybody. So there's a piece of, you know, also how do we make sure we're, we're moving people into healthy communities where they can get the services they need and move forward. And I think that's the broader conversation we'd have to have. Uh, Eric, I don't know if you want to talk about what's happened at the regional level. I, Absolutely. Uh, so the, the city come as a member of the Pierce County Continuum of Care. And last year, they completed their five-year strategic plan. And one of the critical components that we wanted to make sure that was in there was really focusing on how we can distribute the services throughout Pierce County and not force people to come to Tacoma, you know, if, if, if they don't want to. Uh, you and I, uh, like if I want to go to a dentist in Eatonville, I can, you know, um, I don't, I'm not stuck having to go into one place. And so making sure that wherever someone wants to go or their children go to school, they can still have access to the same services um, and really looking at where those gaps are at, you know, looking at like the east side of Pierce County and how we can make sure that people have access to what they need to be successful in their communities. 
Um, and so that, that's just part of the conversation that we had at that, that regional level countywide. And we're still working on that plan and rolling out and seeing how we can continue to support those efforts moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of a challenge because I think that some communities in the county do see this type of thing as more of an urban issue. And there were, there will be people who will say, well, one of the reasons I moved away, I mean, one of the reasons I live in, let's say, um, Enumclaw or Buckley is because I don't want to deal with those urban issues. I moved away from all of those problems. And so why should I be concerned about it? But I think of it a little bit like um, a fairness issue. You know, I don't have children, but I know that it is good for all of us if we have good schools for our children. And I'm happy to pay my share of that to make sure we have that for the community and for our future. And similarly, you know, I would be happy to share some of, you know, to share the burden in my neighborhood um, of helping people who are without housing. Because if we all share in this, then we're much more likely to solve it. But if we keep sort of, you know, wanting to push it to one side or another, um, it'll probably never, we'll never make much progress. Yeah. And, and I think it's also recognizing that people in every community can become homeless and can lose their house. I, you know, I, I try to, you know, there was a big thing a few, like last year, two years ago, there was a Facebook group that was harassing people that were homeless, experiencing homelessness in um, Bonnie Lake. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you're experiencing homelessness and you're in Bonnie Lake, you are probably from Bonnie Lake. I don't right. think anybody, like, it's not like someone from Tacoma is going out to Bonnie Lake because that's the place to be, to be, you know, they're from your community. And I think just broadening that conversation is saying, you know, we're not asking these outlying areas to take people from one part of our county and just put them in your neighborhood. We're just asking for you to recognize there are people in your own community. It would be better if you were serving them there. You know, I was, I was talking to someone and, you know, I said, well, if I ever lost my home and became homeless, I would stay in Tacoma. Like mm-hmm. they were telling, they were like, well, why wouldn't you move to someplace cheaper to live? I'm like, well, no, like I would just, I'd stay in my hometown. This is where my friends are. I know people here. I know things. It would be better for me to stay here and get support. Um, and I think that's the, the conver- that's how we have to, we have to turn that conversation around with some of these places Just say like, it's going to be better for your residents. It's going to be better for the people from your area if they can stay in familiar circumstances and not have to go all the way across the county to get the services they need. Mm-hmm. But do we have, is your sense, and Erica, you may have a sense of this from working with the continuum of care group, but do you have a sense that um, communities outside of Tacoma see it that way or, or are they still sort of feeling like you know, that's not our priority. I think there are members of, of, of community members throughout Pierce County who, who want to help. Just like we see here in Tacoma, we're seeing a, a, a lot of uh, organization groups that are stepping up and wanting to contribute. Um, and I'm sure they're out there too. Um, and maybe just don't know how, where to start and, and don't know how to access resources to support an effort like that. Um, I, I really do um, believe that those folks are out there. <laughs> Okay, that's good. What about, um, and you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, let's just get people wherever we can find places for them. What about um, any vacant city buildings that might be used? And and I'll throw out there that, yeah, I, I certainly understand thinking that just opening up the door and saying, hey, have at it, guys, is probably going to be a problem. But let's suppose a group that 
you know, wasn't necessarily a well, a super well-funded group. What if you had a local group who said, you know, if you have a vacant building, we'll come in and we'll take responsibility for managing it. And we think we could probably handle 30 people if the building's large enough and has bathroom facilities. Is there a system in place for that to happen? Or is that still kind of in development? Eric, I probably defer to you, like, what's our criteria for a group that says, hey, I want to do something like that? What, what, how does um, NCS approach that? We always accept proposals. That will be our first question, just like Councilmember Hines was stating, you know, what is your plan? Um, do you have resources? What is staffing going to look like? Um, and if they're looking at a building, we always want to make sure it's safe. <laughs> you know, is it safe to do this? Like when we look at any space, uh, we have building inspectors and the fire department do a walkthrough. And now that we're in the current pandemic, we actually have the health department do a walkthrough as well um, and look at the, um, the HVAC systems for filtration. How far apart do we need people? Like it, this isn't a situation where we just take people and just put them in a building and just hope everything goes well. Like we want to make sure that we are employing all the safety regulations that people can live there safely if you or I needed to be in that building. Um, so so we, we do ask that if, if people come and want to do something like this, they have a plan that will address all of those concerns. Mm -hmm. What about, I you know, had someone point out to me that um, there's some buildings on uh, Tacoma Avenue, you know, sort of across the street from the main library that are vacant, I think owned by the county rather than the city, like King Center and places like that. Have you, have you had any... Um, push uh, from people to start looking at vacant um, city county properties that could be, you know, with some investment made habitable for people? I, you know, Emma, I don't know specifically if anybody's talked about those properties. You know, I, this often comes up a lot when you, with vacant, those I hear people talk about it. And, mm -hmm. and the first thing you need is a willing property owner who wants mm -hmm. to host it, you know? So like when the six and orchard site happened, um, people were like, wasn't well, there a business district you could put this into? And I said, well, I mean, if you could find me a business owner that wants to host this, like, sure. Um, but the reason we're here is because the church, that's what they want to do. So I haven't, we haven't had any, I'm not privy to any conversations about that property with the county mm -hmm. at this point in time. I, Erica, I don't know if you know anything about that. Yeah. So, you know, it comes back to the, you know, what is the, the, who, or sorry, does the property owner want to get to be there? And then looking at specifically how much capital startup cost it would take to get something like that to go, you know, so um, looking at, uh, you know, I think long-term vision, you know, for the city with the affordable housing action strategies, you know, what are, what about, uh, you know, places like motels that are underutilized right now mm -hmm. and um, that we could have some dollars, clean them up, you know, and turn them into kind of longer term housing opportunities, right? Finding a willing property owner who wants to do that long term. Um, sure. I mean, like, I think all those options on the table down the road, it, it becomes about cost, it becomes about capacity, it becomes about safety and things like that. But, you know, these are all things I think we're willing to explore with the right proposal. Mm -hmm. One of the things I was talking to um, one of the people from the um, Tacoma Mutual Aid Collective a couple of weeks ago, and they do a lot of direct outreach to people who are living on the streets. And I asked her, you know, if there's one thing you could get, you know, like the right away that would really make a difference, what would that be? And, and she said, you know, if we could get hotel rooms for people in the winter, 
you know, and just house people in hotel rooms until maybe March or April, that would make a world of difference. It gives them a time out, de-stress from being living in the cold in a tent. They have access to shower. They have access often to um, washer and dryer and, um, you know, would, would give them an opportunity to be healthier and not be cold and not be out in the elements. And that seems like maybe a doable thing especially if the city or the county gets some additional COVID money. I, I don't know how many hotel operators and owners would want to do that, but considering they're probably in you know pretty economically dire straits too, they might be more open to it than, than in the past. I don't know. Has, have you had any um, discussions about that sort of a plan? I do not prove that, but Eric, I feel like some of our providers have put people up, like hidden Catholic community services put people up in hotel rooms at one point in time. Yes, they do have, as they were trying to address the, the capacity issue in their current um, shelter, they are taking advantage of a, a partnership with a hotel to use, to use that space. And, you know, it does require some additional staffing to be able to supervise, like Councilmember Hines was saying, we want to make sure that people are safe and we want to make sure that they have access to staff to oversee it. Um, and we have some other providers that have relationships with uh, hotels uh, so they can they can refer individuals to the spaces as well. Yeah, I, I think it comes back down to the having there's like multiple pieces have to come together. Right. So you have to have a hotel operator owner who's willing to, to take that on. It's um, a, a funding source. You'll pay that owner and then also staff it. Um, so with, you know, COVID dollars coming in, I mean, I. I'd be the first one to say like, if, if that all came together, why not? I mean, mm-hmm. but you know, I think it comes down to like, what does the plan look like? Uh, you know, we, you know, you look the, the example of the red line that's gotten in the news a lot, which I think in some ways has worked really well, but then also the hotel owners had trouble with kind of property damage too. Right. So there's like, there's a balance that's, that's we need to strike in those situations. But I mean, I think any proposal, would be at least examined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another idea that I, that I had that I wondered about is, and this may be outside your bailiwick, but I'll say it anyway. Um, when I drive around, especially like um, East Side and South Tacoma, somewhat also on the West Side and, and North End, but houses that were built, um, you know, not new build houses, but older houses often have separate garages. Mm-hmm. That that are really well suited to be turned into either little, um, you know, ADU, you know, dwelling units, um, external dwelling units, or um, I did a show last year with someone who did those um, DADU and ADU dwelling units, and he said they turned garages into what he called carriage houses, which is they'll sort of you know build up yeah. usually a story if. If the city, and I think this would require partnering with uh, some other entity, a large nonprofit or private, if the city could provide people with some startup incentive money, I'll bet a lot of people might be interested in taking advantage of trying to convert their garage into some living space. And and that's not a solution, but more living units available helps. Um, any any uh, discussion ever about how you could maybe incentivize people to build extra housing in their property to house people? Yeah, you know, I don't know if we haven't talked about the incentivized mm-hmm. piece of it, but, um, you know, 
looking at the home and Tacoma project and trying to get more spaces available. I mean, part of it is expanding opportunities for that missing middle, the ADUs, the duplexes, triplexes, mm-hmm. stuff like that. The kind of um, kind of lower level density mm-hmm. that, you know, you can actually get some real affordability out of because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a large multifamily project that requires certain rents to be able to pay financing. So I, we have not talked about that yet. I mean, I, we are moving, we're looking more and more at the home and Tacoma project and the affordable housing action strategy. Um, so I'm sure that's those conversations will happen when we start mm-hmm. looking at those things. Like how do we get these to, to go um, and, and provide that space for people? Because that is a, a missing piece. Yeah. And it also helps kind of provide spaces in neighborhoods throughout our city. Yes. So again, going back to that idea of not just developing certain parts of our city, but kind of allowing kind of a lo- more density throughout. Mm-hmm. So that is a, another part of the conversation. But I think, and when you get to the point of talking about homelessness, people who are, who've lost their homes, the house, you know, the houseless community, um, it's, it's a continuum, right. From the person who's not on the, to on the street, to the emergency shelter, to the more permanent shelter, to the permanent sub housing, whether it's subsidized, unsubsidized, and, uh, we got to be working on all of them at the same time. Yeah. And so even the conversation about ADUs is a piece of that sure. because that could be a place where someone could move. Right. If someone was willing to take that on. Right. Or especially with, as you've mentioned at the outset, if, if when the eviction moratorium comes to an end, if we do see sort of a wave of people being pushed out of their housing, you know, then a variety of options is going to be necessary yeah. even, even more than ever. Uh, well, let me yeah. ask you one more pointed question. Then I'm going to ask you both to sort of give me your, you know, what would be one thing that would really make a huge difference um, from what from what you're seeing. So, but my more pointed question first is, I think the city put on hold the rule against uh, camping or sleeping on sidewalks, but I haven't followed since then. So, is that still a municipal law that's on hold, or is it something that the city has gotten rid of? I will, Erica, do you want to answer that one or I can do my best on that one? You, no, I'm, I'm fine doing it. And so, um, and I think your question is about um, like encampments on public property. Is that what you're kind of asking? Yeah, I think so. Although I think it was actually um, for people who were in like um, doorways and things also that, it, that they were get rather than just maybe being told, you know, you need to leave here by tonight. I think there were people who were actually either getting ticketed or, or more at one point. Um, so public property and private property are very different. Um, you know, private property owners are allowed to call the police and have people trespass off their property. But in terms of, of public property, the city is currently operating um, and adhering to the CDC recommendations to not disperse encampments um, in a way to reduce the, the the risk of maybe spreading the virus, the COVID-19 virus, in case someone did have a positive test. So we have been um, providing more intensive outreach and engagement and then setting up these temporary shelter sites. Um, so we do have space to refer them to um, instead of just spreading them out. And that's why we've also increased our garbage and debris removal, knowing that we can't disperse an encampment to allow it to still be somewhat safe while they're there. Yeah. And there's all, I mean, along with the CDC guidelines, you know, the Martin versus Boise case, which is at the seventh circuit. I don't, it's the, whatever the West coast, ninth ninth circuit circuit court. So, you know, lots of cities had kind of 
camping bans and things like that, the Ninth Circuit basically said, you know, you can't enforce any of that unless there's a place for people to go. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another reason why when people have asked, like, well, why are we setting up all these spaces? I mean, that is a piece of it, right, Mm -hmm. is we need to provide spaces for people to come inside and find shelter in order to address some of the issues we have with encampments in the public space. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, so the last question for both of you is if there was one thing that could happen, let's say in the next three to six months that would make a a significant difference, what would that be? You know, uh, I guess a couple, you know, I think with being like you taught, you mentioned earlier with the eviction moratorium coming in and rental. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I'm thinking mostly about is what are we going to do when people have to pay all their rent? Um, And when you said about COVID dollars in hotels, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking COVID dollars, if they come, if we're able to use them for rental assistance, I think that's going to be where we're going to need to go. Um, Because I think the most important thing, and we were in this conversation last night at the Community Vitality and Safety Committee, um, is that we once someone becomes unhoused, it becomes exponentially harder to get them back into housing. And so anything we can do to keep people in their homes is going to be of critical importance. So I think that's the, I think the big, the biggest thing I'm hoping for is that we get a, a nice a relief package from either the state or the federal government that'll allow us to help pay for those housing, you know, to pay people so they can stay, you know, current on their rents or get up on their rents. We're not getting the eviction moratorium or the eviction tsunami that I have heard it described. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, you know, Evelyn, I think aspirationally, what I hope is that more people come and look at the tiny home village here at Sixth and Orchard mm-hmm. and really see that it's not, it's not their worst nightmares. It's not what people thought it was going to be. I mean, it was really hard for two months to convince people that that was not going to be an issue. Um, but as of right now, it's not. And it's, right. it's a very, I think a very humane way to really help a lot of people. And I, you know, I just would encourage if your listeners haven't come out and looked at it, take a look at it. Uh, the story I like to tell is there's a, there's a retirement village right next door that mm-hmm. overlooks the property. And I met, had lots of cups of coffee with the residents there, both, you know, at the resident there. And they were, they thought it was going to put them at risk. I mean, they were very upset. And so at the last community advisory council meeting we had last two weeks ago, I asked the operator, I said, well, what do your residents think about the tiny home village? He's like, you know, council member, they actually feel pretty good about it. They actually think they kind of adopted it. You know, they, they really like seeing the kids running around and they, they really want to see what they can do to get more involved. And I think that was a big win mm-hmm. for us. And um, to talk about lots of th- an idea, now I'm going a little off your question, but you know, trust is kind of an all time low not only local government, but national government, right? Trust is a real concern. And I've been really focused on the way you build trust is you say you're going to do something and then you do it. And I think Tony Hong Village, the Sixth Orchard site is a good example of that, where we told the public, we said, no, no, it's not going to be an issue. It's going to look good. You're not going to notice it. It's going to be clean. You're going to be helping people. And I think we're building trust with people about that every day. So that's both some money from the federal government and also hoping people see the good work the city's doing around homelessness is really what I hope happens in the next couple of months. Eric, I don't know if you want to add something to that or I, what you your hopes are. I, I have the same hope as you in regards to a, a relief package. You know, there, there will be a significant need to help people, 
keep people in their homes, um, but also support our, our service providers. Our homeless service providers have been stretched very thin um, and they've been incredibly creative in the way that they've been going about um, supporting our individuals experiencing homelessness during this time. So if there's any way that we can continue to support them um, and employ the program modifications that they need to, to expand their services back to normal operations, um, I, I would love to see that. I'd love to support them in that way. Okay. Well, thank you both. And I, and I will agree. I live not too far away from the sixth and orchard site far enough that I wasn't really involved in the dialogue, but I go past there regularly and, and it's, it's very clean and well-maintained. And I think, I actually think it's a, it's a good advertisement for, we should, if the funding allows, we should spread this all over the city because then you have people in the communities across the city and it's, it's, humane and it's right and it's fair and I think that that's what we should strive for so I agree with you completely yes all right well thank you so much uh John Hines and Erica Azqueta I really appreciate you um taking the time to talk with us today and if people have questions or or want to send information to you how can they get a hold of you John uh how can people best contact you uh, you know, I tell people the best way to get a hold of me is just send me an email. Um, I really manage that and, and I try to really turn them around as fast as possible. So my email is pretty simple. It's either john.hines at cityofacoma.org or council number one, the number one at cityofacoma.org. And then if you want to follow what I'm up to, I do a regular newsletter. So if you email me and you say, hey, John, I want to know what you're doing, um, I'll subscribe you to the newsletter. But right. uh, I do a pretty good job of communicating that way and you know, when COVID's over, I'd love to grab cups of coffee <laughs> up with people and, and meet in person again. Yeah, we have that as our aspirational goal, right? Yes. You know, someday <laughs> we'll see each other in person. Uh, Erica, how can people send information to the city of Tacoma regarding homelessness issues? Uh, they are, they're more than welcome to email me. Uh, my email address is eesquera at cityoftacoma.org. Or uh, easier, we have another uh email account set up just for interested people about shelters and it's just shelters at cityoftacoma.org. Perfect. Well, thank you both. Um, for listeners, we have a lot of folks lined up to talk this month. Um, if you have thoughts on this episode and you want to get a hold of me, you can email me truetacoma at gmail.com or contact me on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma. Thank you so much. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.